0: one two three good morning everybody happy sunday everyone uh i'm pete i'm one of the pastors here super glad you're here too uh this week my wife and myself and john and sue marsden our founding pastors and Rena rasmussen and ali bishop from our worship community we all got to go to the green lake pastors and leaders retreat which is in green lake wisconsin it's for any pastor and person from a church who wants to come Uh, from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the Chicago area, and it was a pretty marvelous uh, couple of days. It's my 20th time about. We heard from vineyard regional and national leaders. We got to be prayed for and blessed, and we got to worship with a couple hundred pastors and some of the greatest worship music. I love the Vineyard Movement, and I am super happy with the growing diversity of our movement. At one point, we had 12 or 14 musicians on stage, none from majority culture, and the music was amazing. God is moving in the Midwest Vineyard. Uh, Normally, when I go to Green Lake, I'm looking to pray for other people. Uh, You know, I've been around. This is my 20th time. There's young leaders. Find them and pray for them. This time, other people prayed for me, And I did the whole, I'm not even going to tell you what to pray for, because then it's really Jesus if you nail it. And they nailed it two times. It was great. Uh, So I'm coming home encouraged and refreshed and grateful to God for the vineyard and for River Heights Vineyard, you all specifically, which is a great thing. We have sent my incredibly good friend and our pastor of like 20 years, Justin Law, to South Metro Vineyard, and he is preaching there right now for the first time. And as a church, we have had another, uh, a second, really tough financial year uh, in a row. We're in a place where we need God to lead us and to call people into new levels of leadership. And so today I'm happy to announce that we have added two people, John Hodges and Allie Bishop, to our pastoral team. John, who was leading us this morning on the guitar, has been a vineyard worship pastor in the past, Last year, he completed our nine-month pastoral internship residency cohort. That's a thing we offer, and you'll have a chance to sign up for it next year. Uh, He's coming on as a quarter-time staff person, and I am super excited to lead and serve with him. He is gifted, he is called to a life of ministry, and we will grow in new ways as he serves. Uh, We are only able to add a quarter-time staff position right now due to our budget situation. So we have lost a full-time pastor. We are adding a quarter-time pastor. Uh, Thankfully, Allie Bishop is willing to start as a volunteer. She'll be sharing worship pastor duties with John. Allie and Mark were members of River Heights for years in the early 2000s in our old location. And we actually sent them out with a church plant to Richfield, and uh, she also served for years on staff with Mercy Vineyard. She is a seasoned leader. And she has a combination of prophetic insight, pastoral care, and worship leadership that have blessed me deeply and others on our worship teams. And I'm really looking forward to following her and John into our future. I am hopeful that we'll be able to add her as another quarter time staff person sometime in 2024, God willing. Many people have asked about Rena Rasmussen, whose gifts and leadership are incredibly central to our worship community. Rena is the first person I talked to about Justin's departure. She is not in a place where she can take a quarter time or half time job, which is all we can afford to offer at this time. That said, she is 100% confident God has called her to continue serving River Heights. And I believe her leadership and her service here are going to keep growing for the coming years, one way or the other. For today, would you please join me in thanking God for leading us through change and praying for our new pastors. Um, God, we're so grateful for your long history of leading River Heights Vineyard through uh, challenging and easy times, both. We're so grateful that you've always met us where we are and given us what we need. We are grateful for Justin. We send him with our fullest blessing and ask that South Metro Vineyard would take off in a way it never has before with his leadership. And we thank you for bringing us John and Allie and all the other incredibly gifted people who are serving us in worship. We ask that you would bless them and that you would help us to bless them, that you would give them hearts of Christian service and that you would help us follow uh, in Christian service as well. We pray, God, that as they lead us in worship, we would grow in worship, that we would enter into your presence and be with you. Amen. All right. On that note, I get to close off a preaching series today. We have spent nine weeks looking at suburban idols. That's the things that we are most likely to put ahead of God in our day-to-day lives. We've been looking at how all kinds of things, many of them good, can distort our lives when we put them ahead of God. Things like security, status, family, and money can all be gifts, but they can be harmful when we make them the highest priority in our lives. Today, I get to preach on cell phones and social media. And I know, I know, the actual thing that most of us maybe might look like we worship. God has actually moved me away from the sermon I wanted to preach, but in protest, I'm going to share just a little bit. What I wanted to do was share how deeply, deeply, deeply harmful cell phones and social media are, and the research is overwhelmingly in support of that position. Do you know what the FDA's current stance on cell phones are right now? The government agency in charge of what's good for you or not. Cell phones should be used for as short a time as possible until you can get to a landline. For those of you in Gen Z, a landline is like a phone that can't do anything that's built on your wall, okay? Social media usage straight-up causes depression and anxiety super reliably in all human beings. It harms your mental health, physical health, and spiritual health, the good things you think it does for you, There's a limited set of people. You wouldn't believe how small the limited set is, and it probably doesn't include a single person in this room who can actually benefit from social media net to where like the good outweighs the bad. Uh, As I have prayed, however, I have felt that God wants to speak to you from a different angle. And that angle is God really wants to spend more time with you. Think about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the first thing God asks of people. God wants nothing more than to love you and be loved by you. Think about the great lengths God went to show us how much God identifies with us and understands us. God came down in human form through Jesus Christ. God loves you badly enough to leave heaven and live life in this difficult, broken world. God wants to be with us badly enough to send Jesus all the way to the cross and through the cross into resurrection. My oldest son recently turned 18 and moved out. David is my firstborn. He is like me in some powerful ways, in particular, both of us being on the 98th percentile of ADHD. And I've always known he would move out, But despite being glad that he's growing up and building a new life, I miss him every day. I think about him frequently. We text back and forth. I invite him over to dinner every week. I miss him. And every time I see him, I am filled with gratitude and gladness. I love hearing how he's doing. And my son is built a little differently than most people Um, He's happy to tell me, and has been since he was a kid, everything good and bad that he is doing. And I love both. I love that he'll tell me what he's done at parties or what him and his girlfriend are up to, as well as where he's trying to grow and what he's doing at work and how things are going for him. I love that he's honest with me. And it doesn't make me afraid, and it doesn't make me mad at him, because I believe in him. I believe that he will figure it out. And I believe in God, and God will help him figure it out. We text about his changes in musical taste, who's going to win the UFC fights that happened last night, um, and realizations that he's having in life. I love my son, and even while I know the depth of that love, I know that it pales in comparison to God's love for him and to God's love for you. I am pretty deeply relational, but God is way more so than me. And God wants a loving relationship with you all the time. God wants to be with you every day. God wants to be with you in the good times and the bad. Circumstantial and self-inflicted. God wants to love you and know your love in the deepest ways. God wants to hear about your good stuff and your bad stuff, your everyday boring stuff and the big deal stuff. God is always willing to come into your life if you will open the door. There's a famous painting, I don't remember if it was in a sermon here or if it was at Green Lake, of Jesus in the passage, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in. And the reason this painting is famous is in part because it's beautiful, but in part because there's no handle on the outside of the door. And there's a lot of scripture that points in this direction, that Jesus is always waiting to come into our lives, but it's up to us to let him in. We get to choose, is the door open to God right now, or are we going to shut it off? Unfortunately, we live in what is most likely the busiest culture in the history of the world. We're the hardest working culture in the world right now. In terms of number of hours, we have way the fewest days off of any culture in the world, in the first world at least, or second. If your life's anything like mine, We are often pulled in so many directions at once. There's family, there's work, there's taking care of our homes and ourselves, my laundry never does itself, and so on. And we know at the same time, busyness is the enemy of a spiritual and meaningful life. And yet so often, busyness is what we spend our time in. And so our available time to connect with the God who loves us sometimes gets squeezed out especially if we don't make time in our schedules regularly. There have been weeks in my life, especially in my 30s and 40s when I had young kids, where the only check-in I had with God was on Sunday because it was the only day I actually had made the time ahead of time to check in with God. And so what happens when we take these busy lives and we add these? I don't know about you, But for me, this thing gets the most use during my downtime. When I'm waiting in line, when I have nothing to do for 10 minutes, when I pull out my phone and I see that I have a text, even though I'm preaching a sermon and I really want to check and see who it's from, right? Because no one will ever know. Uh, I often pull out my phone, I check my sites, I play my New York Times word games. Poof! My spare time's gone. Now I have to do something again. I keep my phone next to my bed and I check it first thing in the morning. My actual goal is to get genius level on the New York Times spelling bee before I do anything else for the day, right? What does that do to my spiritual life? It means that functionally I am replacing one of the best times in my day for connecting with God who loves me and loves to hear from me with staring at a glowing screen that absolutely does not love me and may in fact be killing me. And I don't think that's a win for anybody in any way. When we use these things to fill the empty spaces in our lives, we end up with even less space to encounter God day to day. I sometimes think about what would happen if you took an anthropologist, that's a person who studies groups of people and how they interact. If you took an anthropologist from another culture and language into modern America, They'd follow us around and observe us, watch our behavior, and I am confident that they would conclude, we worship our cell phones. I don't think there's any other thing they'd be able to come up with on the spiritual side. Where do we invest our time? Where do we go for answers? Where's our Bible? Where's our map? Where are our friends? Where do we present ourselves to the world? For many of us, it's in our pocket or our purse. And while I don't want to dwell on this because God has other plans, I think it's worth mentioning that while we find our cell phones indispensable, using them more is only bad. If you Google effects of using cell phones more, it's a terrible, terrible list for you. The more we use them, the more they take from us physically, relationally, and spiritually. If our smartphones are some people's God, it is not A kind and loving God is one that takes more than it gives and will always be willing to take more. We end up like the Israelites in their idolatry. I want to turn to Jeremiah 2 today, verses 1 through 13, because I think what's going on in here summarizes the effects of all the things that we put ahead of God, whether it's phones or security or family or money or whatever it might be. So let's turn to Jeremiah 2. I'll read Verses 1 through 3, and we'll kind of talk through them as we go. Jeremiah 2 1. The Lord gave me, this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking, another message. The Lord said, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. All who harmed his people were declared guilty, and disaster fell on them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so God remembers what it's like when God's our first love. I don't know how you first came to Jesus. Some of us were just like born into it, and you may not have had a first love, period. But uh, others of you maybe came to Jesus in some kind of powerful way quickly, right? Right? I know this is what happened for me. And wow, you can make people's eye roll with first love, right? My wife, Taylor, and I have been married maybe a year and a half, but we still make people gross all the time. We like hug and we kiss and people are like, ugh, honeymoon period, right? And we can be like that when we first fall in love. We're so excited. We want to share it all the time and live with that love all the time. God remembers what it's like for our hearts to be like that with him. Let's see where it goes. Verse 4, listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They didn't ask Where's the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death, where no one lives or even travels? And so God's problem here is that after all the things God did for people, blessing them, inviting them into relationships, saving them, they ditched God and went after created things. They forgot God's goodness and deliverance and miraculous love and power, and in doing so, they became worthless. We see in the Old Testament stories of the Israelites turning to idols, beginning to immediately oppress the poor, commit injustice for selfish gain, and even go so far as to sacrifice their children to false gods. The things that we put above God never bring us to a good place verse 7 and when i brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness you defiled my land and corrupted the possession i had promised you the priests did not ask where is the lord those who taught my word ignored me the rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of baal a false god of the time wasting their time on worthless idols therefore I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Now, this is strong language. The Bible says in quite a few places that our God is a jealous God. Our God does not want us worshiping anything else. God doesn't want anything else put in the number one spot in our heart. God had brought the Israelites through a dry and desert land full of death and despair. Does that describe the world that we live in? Like how often are we still living? Obviously, our dryness is snow, right? And death and despair are still very much a part of the world that we live in. And God says, I protected you through all that. I brought you to a place of bounty and goodness, which is what I still want to do for you. But the people said no. They turned to false idols that led them to do all these wrongs. And then in verses 10 to 13 here, we see where the heart of God really is with all this stuff about idolatry. Here's what it says verses 10 to 13. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they're not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay says the Lord. And here in verse 13, I think we see really what's at the heart of this series. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And so this passage says these are not just misplaced priorities. They aren't just a matter of getting it slightly wrong in terms of where the order goes. These things are evil. And the first evil thing is giving up God who is a fountain of living water. God wants to be your living water. Jesus, with the woman of the well, said, I have water for you to drink and you will never thirst again. That's the water of life the water of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that all who believe in me, streams of living water will flow out from them. And the next verses say, by streams of living water, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. God's desire is to satisfy the deepest needs of your life. To pour the Spirit of God so freely and generously and with so much love into you that it fills you up and flows out of you into the world that's how we love god love people and change the world by god filling us up and flowing out of us into the world god wants to be so close to you that you change the world forever through love and compounding the evil of abandoning god The Israelites had dug for themselves cracked cisterns. A cistern is a water-holding reservoir, and they can't hold any water at all. They replaced the living fountain with dry, empty caverns that hold nothing. Now, I'm not saying you can't get joy from social media or any of the other things that we have looked at today. When I hit genius level this morning, I had seconds of pure joy. How long does that kind of joy Last? How long does any of the joy you get from cell phones and social media last? Do you feel like it builds up and sustains you through your life? Or is it just pouring into a cracked cistern that runs out and has to be refilled again and again? The joy of God is so much greater than the joy of anything else that we can put first place in our lives. Think of the people you know who are filled with the joy of the Lord. Are they living crazy lives of up and down all the time like this? Or is there something sustained within them that lasts through the good and the bad? That's what God wants for you. God's heart is broken when we abandon God for things that can never do for us, what god longs to do for us which is give us love and let us know our identity as carriers of the image of god god's heart breaks when we abandon him in part because god knows i love you and you're never going to get what you want from the place you're looking for it here's how jesus puts it in the sermon on the mount this comes at the end of the passage where jesus starts off by saying don't worry about anything and here's what jesus offers as an alternative to worry matthew 6 33 seek the kingdom of god above everything else and live righteously and god will give you everything you need jesus says there is an alternative to worry it is to passionately seek every sign of god's presence in the world and the implication here is that when we don't seek God's kingdom, we're in danger of falling back into worry and even of missing out on God's gifts. The door doesn't have a handle on his side and he could be standing there with gifts for you right now, but you've shut him out. And the invitation of Jesus is open it up, let me in. So how do we do this? How do we seek the kingdom? One way is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, Waving at a friend who wishes we said the Lord's Prayer more often. Love you, Heidi. Um, I think the Protestant translators have done a real disservice to us with the Bible. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he didn't say pray like this, which is what your Bible says if you're Protestant. What Jesus actually said is, when you pray, pray this. And so I'd like to say the Lord's Prayer together right now. Our Father... One way to seek the kingdom is to pray for it. Another is to let God into the spaces in our lives, the empty time, to experience a richer and more beautiful life because we meet God's goodness in us. God wants to give us everything we need and asks that we look to God first, not after everything else that takes our time, not after family or security or money or whatever's happening on our phone, but first. And so I have a practical suggestion for doing that today. This one depends on you having a cell phone. I know that there are at least three people who do not have a cell phone in this church. And if that's you, you can choose to do this with something other than a cell phone. But for the rest of us, would you please take out your cell phone right now? Let's see if you can resist the urge to turn it on and check it. So I'd like you to just take your cell phone out and hold it in your hand. I'm gonna pray that for this week, every time we pull out our phone, we would be reminded to say a prayer. How much more time would you spend with God if every time you took this thing out, you said a prayer before or after you used it, right? My plan's actually to download a background that's black and says pray as a reminder, but I don't know how to do that. I'm gonna ask my wife to do that. She's an Apple user. Uh, you know, but she's also a millennial and therefore better at this than I am. So uh, let's just pray and ask God to use these for good for us. God, we want you to come